Before we get started in this episode, a quick announcement. As you know, I'm very passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy, and I also run a busy practice in Canberra. We're currently looking for psychologists who are registered in Australia to join our team, who are also passionate about learning about ACT. We provide supervision on a group and individual basis and training around ACT. So if this is you, if you're interested, please express your interest at strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers. Look forward to hearing from you. And now back to this episode. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name's Nesh Nikolic, and my guest today is Tanya Kolesnik, who is a psychotherapist and licensed clinical social worker who's been working in this field since 1995. She received her master's degree in social work from New York University after group therapy changed her life. Tanya has extensive experience in outpatient hospital mental health, private practice, and also wellness center settings. From those experiences over the years, Tanya has identified her most important focus, which is helping people to live lives that light them up. She does this by helping clients to access and honor their truth, to change habits that don't serve them anymore, and to heal narratives that are more in line with their values. Her work revolves around intimate groups as the sharing of inner worlds and being human together in a safe space is what Tanya finds to be the most powerful way to transform lives. Interesting conversation with Tanya today as group settings is something that many of us have struggled to consider or engage with. And I think Tanya really highlights the value and the the, the characteristics of being in a group that are potentially more powerful than individual work itself uh, or alone. So I think it's something that is worth considering and having an open mind to. And I think Tanya does really justice to how a group setting can be structured to be most powerful and uh, life-changing for many of the participants. So enjoy this conversation as I certainly can. Tanya, a big thank you for coming onto the show today. Thank you, Nash. I'm so excited to be here and for our conversation. Look, I'm excited as, as well as I know that you have a lot of experience and expertise in in working in groups, and it's something that I think a lot of psychologists, psychotherapists, people working, you know, with 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 those that are vulnerable can see great value in. But it's quite a difficult. A space for many of us to get engaged with, whether it's the challenges of putting a group together, or, or um, you know the the you know uh, difficulties of how to even manage it because of the lack of experience that that's out there due to that exposure. So I'm excited to hear about your experience and 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 also your journey as to how you got into you know working in in groups and facilitating those. So maybe if you don't mind, could, could we start there? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, So I actually started my career as a graphic designer. And when I was in my mid 20s, fairly early on in my career, I was struggling to have a long term love relationship. And I didn't really understand what was wrong. And 
At the time, I did not initially think of therapy as an option. I felt a lot of stigma. This was 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago. I felt a lot of stigma. And I also had this idea that somehow therapy was for people with more legitimate problems, and I was sort of dismissing my own. But with some time and some more evolution in my life, I did finally decide it was okay to give it a try. And I got some names and got connected to a wonderful therapist named Bonnie and immediately felt like it was a good space for me to be in and start to share my story with her. And pretty early on, she suggested I add group therapy to the mix. And she ran both. So she did the individual work. And then she um, ran this group. And the thought of it really terrified me. Uh, and I was being very vulnerable with her and didn't think that I'd be able to do that with people who at the time were strangers but she thought it was would be helpful for me, and I was building some trust in her. And I was a little intrigued, so I decided to go ahead and give it a try. And that experience really helped me do some healing. I went into that experience feeling very flawed. I think because I was struggling to have a long-term love relationship and I was trying to explore why, but the way I was explaining it to myself inside my own head is that I must be somehow unlovable, somehow very flawed. And when I went through this experience of group work with other people kind of on their personal growth journeys, it was very healing for me and helped me understand the human condition better and helped me understand sort of my ins and outs and not see them as flaws, but see them as layers to my own story and some areas that needed work and some other parts that I needed to be more accepting and compassionate towards myself. And so in that process, as I was connecting more to myself, my confidence grew. I went out there in the world um, and could tell that I was shifting because people in general, in general were gravitating more towards me. So I knew that there was something different happening. And it didn't take long before I met who is now my husband. And actually, we just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary in September. So the whole reason why I went to group happened fairly early on. And um, that was amazing. But what I didn't anticipate was connecting to myself, starting to feel good about who I was, starting to really um, like myself. I mean, there was a lot of things that happened in that experience that changed everything for me. And because that experience was so powerful, I decided to leave my career as a graphic designer and I went back to school and became a licensed clinical social worker, therapist, psychotherapist. And also I do coaching and have been doing that work um, professionally for more than 27 years now. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a story. Yeah. Uh, tell me about whether you continued on with the 
individual or the group work after you met your partner? I did. I actually did. There were three different times in my life with this particular therapist who I love. Um, and she, there were times when I went through some transitions in my life where I went back into group and went through the transition with the support of the group um, on three different occasions. The first time around, I did stay for a while past meeting my husband and um, did a combination of individual and group. I think the other times when I went back, I mostly did group. I don't think I did quite as much individual. I probably had worked through a lot of the stuff and understood a lot of what my issues were, but having the support of the group and the accountability piece and um, a, a, an environment where I could sort of share what was going on with me and be seen was very healing. So, yeah. yeah it's interesting. I, uh, I asked the question because I know that a lot of people's motivation can wane uh, once they you know, meet a, a particular goal and in particular also with relationships so much of our time and energy ends up being invested uh, in those people and so sometimes you know our, our days you know, and evenings get longer uh, or, or more filled because we're now spending it with that loved one yeah uh, and, and it's fascinating because you know obviously that's what every psychologists would like to hear um, and, and would, would like to see from their from their clients that they maintain that you know that, that the value of that you know continues to be strong even after the goal is met because there's so much more unpacking yeah. and exploring and understanding to do yeah yeah I think that's the best if if somebody is sort of coming into doing this kind of work on themselves with this idea of what needs some healing and when we're able to open up to what comes up, whatever it is, is I think the most healing experience of all, because then we're listening to ourselves and we're learning how to check in and see what's needed and adjust, because I think that's part of it too. Growth is not a straight line, as you know. So, And yeah. what, what would you say are the, the primary or the key characteristics that that you see are powerful in groups uh, and and what were they for you as well as as you know on a, on a personal level mm -hmm. uh, because obviously there are lots of broad ones but often there are specific ones that we ourselves feel you know were, were, were most important in that moment yeah um, I'm trying to think how to answer both questions. They're probably both the same all across the board. Sure. So one of them, I think, is just being in a space that feels safe enough to be vulnerable and not just with the therapist. Because I think when you go into a therapist or a coach relationship and you feel like it's a good enough fit, there is some expectation that that person's going to be on your side and, and not that it's artificial in any way, but there's a very specific kind of role that each person has in that relationship. Whereas when you're in a group, it's not quite as um, sort of defined 
you know, and so you're in this space and people are doing their own work and they're going to react to you in whatever comes up for them, hopefully. I mean, if, if they're really sort of making the best use of group. So being vulnerable and first of all, surviving that because that can be really uncomfortable, really scary to do. And so being able to do that, hear ourselves, have witnesses and, Usually, in my experience, when I've done it or when I've been able to witness other people do it, people get the most compassion back. I think when people take that kind of risk and share something that's got that um, vulnerability to it, usually what I hear back is, how brave that might have been or or how that helps somebody else receive permission for themselves to share a little bit more, how people feel a little bit safer as somebody is kind of taking that leap of faith in that space. So that's mm-hmm. for sure. It makes sense. Sorry to jump in. It, yeah. It makes sense because I know that one of the greatest fears that human beings have is rejection. And you know, the fear of people finding out that we are unlovable or not mm-hmm. good enough or inadequate is petrifying because it means yeah. that we get you know kicked out of the group on an evolutionary basis and they're therefore you know, uh, available to be eaten, to be killed. We're not going to survive as long. If we get sick, we, we, we don't have anyone to care for us. So... A group setting to be vulnerable is, you know, incredibly powerful because you know it's 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 uh, overcoming that fear, which allows us to uh, you know, live a much more liberated life. You know, where we're not confined and constrained and you know, um, yeah. caught up in that fear, and so. What when when you're talking about that vulnerability and that support, um, you know, that's powerful. Let alone also hearing other human beings uh, and finding out that um, you know, they're also being vulnerable and and they've made um, you know, so-called air quotes errors in their life, or mm-hmm. you know, maybe they feel unlovable and inadequate and good enough too, and so we're not doing this alone. So it sounds like a very powerful. Uh, environment to to you know and exposure to that so that, that we could do that yeah. by simply sitting in the room without having to even be vulnerable ourselves you know we get to choose when to do that uh, that's very, right very um very uh, remarkable yeah yeah and you touched on another one where you were just saying about that you're not alone part and i would say that maybe is the biggest thing about group that people recognize and the quickest thing, the thing that they can relate to most of all is realizing, oh, I'm not alone. And so yes, the being vulnerable is sort of this process of showing up in that way. But knowing that you're not alone is is amazingly, I think, healing, powerful, helpful, so that as you take the steps, it can feel just a little bit safer. And the other piece um, that I think about a lot is that group to me is this microcosm of our world outside of group. So whatever it is that you may struggle with in your life, you have a chance for it to show up while you're in group. So 
For example, for me, because I know you were also asking about my own experiences, I have a tendency towards people-pleasing tendencies. And, you know, I've done a lot of work on that. I understand where it's from and, and I'm aware of it. If I'm not paying attention, though, it's the thing that can show up most easily for me in my life. And so being in the group, especially the first time early on, I had... Uh, I had to really work hard to claim my voice. It was something that I felt shy. I felt like I needed to let other people speak. I needed to let other people whose problems seemed more urgent than mine. But then, of course, that happened week after week after week. So in some ways, that could be true. It could be that somebody's dealing with something big and they need to process it. But if that's happening every week, then it's probably not really that. And so the group is a great opportunity to practice whatever it is that we need to practice, setting boundaries, saying no, having a voice, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, so I think it's really great for that. I had this experience in the first group that I was in, where there was a woman in that group, and she was sharing with this group about this um, high school reunion that she had been to. And she was probably in her 60s at that time in groups. And she was talking about the experience, which was interesting, but she really wasn't going very deep. And I found myself feeling impatient. And I live outside of New York City and took a train to get to group in New York City at the time. And I remember thinking, well, I don't want to hear about her reunion. And she wasn't really doing any work on herself. She was just really just sharing with people. And it was an opportunity for me to figure out how to bring the conversation to something that felt more meaningful for my journey into the city and doing the group. And it ended up being, I spoke up, I felt worried I was going to hurt her feelings. I felt like I was being unkind, all the things I had to work on. And then was able to have an open conversation about that, finding your space. When is it impolite? And, and how do you handle that kind of thing? And it really helped me grow. So I think that kind of thing, we all have whatever it is that we're working on that we'll have the opportunity in group setting to practice some of those things. It also sounds that the way that you approached group therapy made it even richer. The, the fact that you're able to reflect or introspect and then think about what can I get out of this? You know, noticing your impatience showing up and asking yourself you know what's the meaning behind this or what's the opportunity there's there's a learning opportunity here and it meant that you're in an environment that was incredibly rich to learn from you know it, instead of it being a you know air quotes waste of your time and and mm -hmm. you know it's just this kind of shallow sharing about a reunion it became an opportunity for you to have a voice and in actual fact, you know, apply some, you know, maybe self uh, respect or, or, you know, break one of those limiting beliefs that, uh, you know, if you speak up that you're hurting others, that you're mm -hmm. upsetting someone, that everyone's needs are ahead of yours. 
it's, it sounds like the, the way you, you you engaged in the process made it very rich, and maybe that's also an important part of of uh, all therapy, but you know also that group therapy environment because all the focus isn't on you uh, mm-hmm. all the time as it would be in an individual. Uh, That's right. But being able to make sure that it's applicable is is, is an important um, skill or at least focus for, for participants. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know in the groups that I've run over the years, I've had to get better and still I'm working on it at helping people understand how can they get the most out of group because it can very easily turn into something more superficial than maybe what people want to get out of it. So we have to pay attention to that. Um, Sometimes people get to going down this path of giving advice and that's a way to not focus on your own stuff. And so there are different bits and pieces that are really important to help people understand how they're really going to get the most out of it. I'm not sure why I knew to do that. Probably I think it was the combination of individual and group because the therapist helped me understand what to bring back to group, what, whatever came up, how that would help my growth at my understanding of it, working on it in group, noticing what came up, all of that. So that really helped me learn. One other thing that I'll just go back on as well, when you said the environment is powerful in that it it reinforces that you're not alone or, or it highlights that you're not alone. From an ACT perspective, which is my, my, my passion, mm-hmm. that really speaks to the acceptance model you know, where, where it says, I'm not different. You know, mm-hmm. and, and the relational frames often is you know, different equals disordered, different mm. equals abnormal. And so by, by accepting that, there are others in the room that are the same. The same equals normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I am not alone and I'm normal. I'm regular. You know, mm-hmm. I am, you know, if I can see, you know, love towards these other people, I can be understanding or compassionate. Maybe some of that can be reflected at myself too. So I thought when you said you're not alone, I, I just wanted to reflect that back because that, that's the way that I, um, heard that the, the, the power mm-hmm. in acceptance is, is, is remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And what was coming to me as you were saying that is how sometimes the, there can be the different particulars as people are sharing their experiences. And if they really look, and I just saw this the other day in one of my groups, if they really look, they can see, oh, it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? So (laughs) even though it may look a little bit different, I mean, in this case, it was just two people talking about sort of, uh, really, it was a car that they were each getting excited about. But what they were gravitating towards was very different kind of flavor to it. And then they realized, but they both were having an emotional reaction to this thing. And they were looking at that. So it was an interesting process watching them realize where they were coming back together and realizing, oh, yeah, this is actually the same. (laughs) I think one of my 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 most favorite parts of therapy is being able to observe uh, the behavior of avoidance 
and mm. how many shapes and sizes that it fits into and and the the way that we can somehow almost in in in, in an elegant you know architecturally sort of designed way find a a a, a a method to avoid, you know, whether it's our thoughts, our feelings, our contradictions, our worries, our pains, doing any hard work, clearly our emotions. There's so many ways in which we do it. And when clients can begin to see that, uh, you know, there's just more transparency about who you are and therefore maybe some more choice about how you want to be mm-hmm. in this world, you know, avoidant or you know a bit more deliberate a little bit more mindful and conscious so it sounds like the the group allows for a lot of that because you can observe it in someone else and sometimes it's easier to see it in others than it is in 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 yourself Mm -hmm. yeah one of the things that i love so much is as the group members get to know each other they can respond to each other and call each other out lovingly on certain things that they think they might be doing that sort of avoidant or not taking care of for themselves. And on the flip side of that, to really celebrate each other when they see each person kind of doing these steps that might to somebody else feel like it's a small thing, but we in the work that we're doing have such an understanding of what a huge step these incremental movements forward that people take. And so having both, having people know us so, so well that they can push back if we're not looking at something and also celebrate us. What are the ways in which you would uh, engage a group to celebrate these these, these moments? I uh, I know the, the, the immense importance of, of ensuring that we do uh, spend the time to to integrate wins you know that the, the the achievements the the uh you know the the part to reinforce and to stay in you know uh, from a behavioral perspective is is important and sometimes we kind of miss that in therapy and i think it was dr Rick Hansen that I had on the podcast previously who, who spoke about this, I believe it was, uh, about spending the time in an emotional space to, to really understand and feel and experience why something was valuable and useful and why you're pleased about it and connected with your, with your value set so that it's stickier, you know, that, that mm. you then leave the room, you know, with more of that rather than, it being something that uh, is glossed over, and so I know in a in a group setting, there's probably so I'm certainly not exp- uh, expert in this, but uh, I think there's certainly an opportunity for that celebration to be greater because it's shared with more people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way that we do it, I do a combination in my groups of offering the group a topic. I offer it to them the week prior. My groups are every other week. So the week prior, they hear a topic and they have a week to kind of think about it, process it, do some writing, whatever it is. And we 
kind of catch people up. If there's something that's on the horizon that we're working towards that that feels daunting to us or difficult or whatever it is, we will let people know. So we know kind of what people are working on for sure. And so when um, somebody shares anything that sounds different. Some It's not always me. It's often me. I might say, oh my gosh, that's huge. Did you hear what you just said? And then I would help them remember where they came from, whatever it might be, and sort of help them see what a huge step they've taken in their growth. But it's not always me. Often it's somebody else in group who sees what it something, how something is shifting, how something is different. And it's just become the culture of the group because it's what we do. So, and we're looking for that. We're very deliberate about looking for that. So we jump in with each other as we notice that kind of thing to to really call it out and take mm. a pause and really look at it and be very deliberate about saying what a big deal that is. I like that contrasting and highlighting the change in perspective of being able to view the old self, so to speak, uh, and, and compare it with the the current self to, to say, wow, that's a, a very different viewpoint that you're holding today. Um, mm-hmm. How powerful. And to do that in public. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll call out other things too. If somebody seems, even though I do it all over Zoom, we can still see each other and we can see some of kind of the body language. If somebody's starting to seem more in flow and we can see it in their body or more comfortable as they're sharing things, we'll just highlight that kind of thing as well. Mm. How, how do you find the Zoom platform, you know, doing it over video I, I imagine the accessibility makes it you know so much greater the, the yeah the pain and difficulty and challenges and all the barriers to you know going across the city and catching you know buses and trains and you know, taxis and parking and so on versus being able to just log in uh, yeah how, how, how do you how have you found that and maybe that's one of those things that has made groups harder to to attend and also to facilitate for you know for for um you know the facilitators the psychologists psychotherapists social workers mm-hmm. around the world um, maybe that's what is part of the the challenge of the uptake or why we at least here in australia we we see a very small number of uh mm. groups in comparison to the individual support yeah yeah i I like Zoom just fine. I feel like um, I was starting to do a little Zoom before COVID because I was interested in being able to reach a greater, bigger area. And um, so that's been something that I was interested in for a while. And then certainly COVID made it much easier to go into the virtual world. And I like it. I know that some people that have been previously been in in-person groups with me um, have chosen not to continue because they like the in-person and they don't really like the Zoom. Um, but then other people prefer it because they don't have to travel. I feel like in each square is somebody's face. So even though you're losing that body language or some of that body language that you're able to get in person, you don't have that same 
sort of in-person connection that you can have, being able to be kind of up close with people's faces, you can see some subtle, just different expressions on their face because it's right there. So I would say the other thing though um, is I'm always struggling to decide who's going first and, and it feels like it's just easier if I kind of direct it a little bit because in that space of like who wants to go next feels a little bit harder to navigate as a group. So, I mean, and that's just maybe just a little practical piece. But um, other than that, I like it. I feel like you still have a lot of power and we're there and it's interesting. We get to see each other's houses a little bit and, and the rooms and who's got privacy. And so there's other elements that show up in that kind of virtual situation. And for people like me, it's lovely to be able to see their names on each on each yeah. square because <laughs> especially in early days, that, that could be quite challenging as well. So, you know, that, there's a little perk as well. <laughs> true, true, true. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do in-person retreats also. So I kind of like having the opportunity to do the in-person group experience, which is more of a deep dive and then this ongoing sort of group work that has a little bit more ease to it with the um the virtual you don't have to commute for it and all of that and what would you say from your experience has been a good number of participants to to work with so that there's enough time to be able to focus on each individual person's needs but at the same time uh, yeah, creating as much accessibility as possible because um, mm-hmm. it's always it's always a balance that that uh, you know I know that a lot of us would would really like to be able to make a difference or support a greater number of people but at the same time it's it's harder and harder to to you know, manage that experience to make it as powerful um, and individualized for for each person what what would you say, at least from your experience and, and yeah. the way that you've modeled your work? And I'm, I'm assuming it's also changed as you've you know, developed how you, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, engage participants and how you go through your your um, you know, group work. What would you say has worked for you? Yeah. I mean, probably the sweet spot is about eight people. I like a small group. I definitely, I will go maybe up to 10, but over 10 for me starts to feel unwieldy. Um, and some of my clients really enjoy a small group. So sometimes there's there's a real wish that I hear from them. Let's not make it any bigger. It's just, you know, people want their own time. So I think, yeah, I would say six to eight is kind of the sweet spot for me. And certainly people do it bigger. Bonnie, who ran the group that I was in, had she, it was in New York City. She had this tiny little office, but there were 12 chairs that she figured out how to put in her office. And uh, But we weren't always 12. It was very rare that we were, were all there. Uh, but it was always a very different experience depending on how big or small. And I've had group situations where it'll be a night where 
just coincidentally, a bunch of people haven't been available. And so it's gone to be as little as two in a night before. And I know that I used to be like, oh, no, why is it only two people and feel like it was this negative thing? But I have changed my tune. I have since realized no matter who two it is, the two people, there's always some connection that they can really get at when it's just the two of them, that's going to be powerful for both of them. So when that kind of thing does show up, and it is smaller than I'm anticipating for that night. I um I really celebrate it and I enjoy seeing what unfolds. A human nature jumps straight back in, doesn't it? It's like, mm. my goodness, you know, what what's wrong with me? Why aren't people mm. showing up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> yeah, totally. That's that's what's so so interesting to to observe and and you know maybe one of those really powerful elements about group is that we can also potentially, you know, make, make, you know, fun of ourselves or be lighthearted or, or, or you know, be playful to, to, to see that, Hey, you know, uh, I'm allowed to be human. Strangely enough. Yeah. And, and, and to model that you know, so that you know, not only the, the uh, facilitator, but, you know, everyone else can, can, can also do that. And, and, you know, there is, I think, that psychological flexibility, that that uh, detachment from these these you know, really strongly held identities or, or you know, fusions about you know, who we are is, is is a powerful thing to you know work on through that process and and you know modeling with one another and like I think human beings we're we're clearly built in a way that uh, you know what we say to one another is much less uh, powerful often than what we observe from one another. And and you know, anyone with children knows this. You know that they, they definitely learn from our behaviours, even though we say you know do as I say, not as I do. Um, no, no, they're just going to do what you do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, I I love that. So sort of, we laugh a lot. And back in the day when I did it in person, the therapist that had the office next to me while I was running group would always share with me about like all the laughter that would come up. (laughs) And then whoever was in her session for an individual, she would inevitably say to them, well, do you wish you were over there? Because (laughs) she would hear our group laughing. Yeah. So. Maybe that's how you grew your groups. Everyone's like, I want to be in the other room. There's, 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 there's more fun <laughs> yeah. going on over there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about um, uh, uh, what you uh, would suggest or recommend for clinicians out there who are thinking about you know, doing group work? You know, what are the sorts of things that are important to set up? Um, you know, some of the, maybe the pitfalls or uh, starting points that are in, really important uh, because there's, there's there's not too much out there that I'm aware of that addresses this, you know, need about, you know, how do you set up a group, you know, and I know that here in, in, in Canberra um, where I have my practice every, you know, numerous times a year we get a flyer which comes out and says this new group's you know, being being offered, you know, sadly, you don't hear very much from them 
you know, after that, and and many of those groups just dissolve. You know, mm. it's very hard for them to get traction. So, and obviously, you've been quite successful in 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 this space. So, how, what would you say to you know, clinicians who are you know wanting to to dip their toe in or get started and and use that type of setting, the group setting for their work? It it can be so hard to build up a group. And even though I've had a lot of success, a lot of it has taken time to build over time um, and to not be afraid of the smaller groups to start, like let that be a starting point. Know that that is powerful. And there's a lot of group work that still you know, some of that you're not alone that we were talking about being able to see somebody else in their journey, even with two or three people in a group, that experience still can happen. It's still different than individuals. So I think that, um, I think maybe starting with a little bit more structure at the beginning, just to get your own feet wet, get comfortable, because I think it's, there's a real comfort level issue. I think there's a lot of therapists who are quite afraid of groups. It's hard to figure out maybe how they can be in the space and be able to honor each person and do their work. And I think it can be quite intimidating. And so if you allow yourself to have a little bit more structure at first, then I think that can build some of your comfort with it and let it be a little bit looser, more organic. If that's where you want to go, you may want to stay in a structured place. I think that there are certain, um, I'm trying to think what built more quickly. I remember I did a a group for divorced women or divorcing women once that filled very quickly. So I think sometimes if you can really highlight what it is that somebody's going to be getting out of it um, and what the focus is that can help to pull some people together, but it, it can be tricky. I think that there's something about um, just holding that space and knowing that the group, the people that come into group are really going to feel you, like you and your ability to kind of be human with the people in the room is so important. And that's such a part of being able for people to feel safe enough. They'll feel it. So to have that experience. Um, yeah, to trust it, to go into your own group if you can. I mean, I, honestly, I think part of, for me, part of why group is my thing and why I am so comfortable doing it is because I have such a history having done it as a client myself. I know what it feels like to be on the other side. And still, I don't do uh, group group at the moment, although I'm not against the idea, but I love to go to retreats that go pretty deep where we can really get into stuff. So it's a space that I have really developed my own comfort level with over the years. So I think for somebody to let themselves be in a space like that could be really helpful in your ability to then run a group. And what sort of time commitments would you say has been workable in terms of how long would a group last for how many sessions how frequent uh, yeah. how, how long are the the time allocations per session 
Could you talk us yeah. through that? I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. And I feel like I've done it so many different ways. Where I'm landing on at the moment is one of my groups is an hour and 15 minutes long, but I'm actually moving towards an hour. Um, and I kind of do this ongoing thing, but I'm changing how I structure it. I'm asking people for a six month commitment first and, and then they can sort of re up each time I've done things like 12 weeks. I do every other week, which I think is maybe not necessarily the norm, but I like to do it that way to give people more time to process things in between. Some people will meet with me on the off weeks so that they'll have an individual one week and then group another week, that kind of thing. Um, but I think doing it every other week too makes it somewhat sustainable because then they can live their lives and it doesn't feel like it's so hard to um, keep that flow or be consistent with that. Um, so there's so many different ways. I would say less than 12 weeks to me feels like it's not going to build some of the relationships and help that growth happen as easily. So I would say really at least 12 weeks is a good rule of thumb. Um, I mean, there are certainly obviously other kinds of groups that might be very goal oriented, Mine are more loose and organic and about, I mean, ultimately about helping people clear what's depleting them, taking up so much of their energy and getting in the way of what they really want to be focusing on. So identifying what they really don't want to be spending their time and energy with and moving towards what they really want, which in some ways is kind of vague. So people have to understand what they want in order to be a good fit for my group. But sometimes people can really have some very specific things that they're wanting to teach people. And that's a different kind of group. Um, but the, I think that could be more short term, more structured. I ask, cause it's something that that's always been interesting to me, you know, thinking from a best practice uh, mm. model. I know that in part as part of my, Thesis some time ago, I evaluated a group program and it was conducted on a weekly basis focused on on managing or supporting clients manage their depression more effectively. And the one thing that continually came through in the research, not that it was my topic, but it just kept showing up in, in the journals was the importance of uh, regular participation. So I think picked up on that as well in terms of anything beyond two weeks starts to you know, degrade potentially the the um, therapeutic value and outcome and you know, we, we found that, that the more and you know, this isn't obviously a uh, an incredible finding but uh, uh, what showed up was you know the more sessions that that participants attended the more efficacious it was and I've also looked at that from an individual perspective and uh, I think they call it effective dose, you know, even mm -hmm. though it's not medication. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but they the, the terminology is very similar to to medication. And in the individual side, there's actually a, a significant difference between providing 
weekly versus fortnightly sessions. Uh, and so the intensity is really important on an individual basis uh, to get you know, therapeutic outcomes over over um, uh, a longer period of time, which is really it says something. And you know, I, I kind of look at this from a policy basis as well in, in terms of how should government be supporting uh, in at least in Australia with Medicare, um, you know, subsidising some sessions with psychologists that uh, you know we should all be really aiming at least on the individual basis of following what the research says. And so I'm not sure what the the group uh, says, um, but I can definitely uh, I believe that you know that that every second week or even every week you know mm-hmm. it has to be a sweet spot in there. Um, I, I think you do lose a bit of traction. And as you say, yeah. particularly in group of of meeting the other participants, which allows you to then build trust, ability, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to have some of that accountability from what was discussed last time. So it's still a bit fresh, uh, and you know, to be able to highlight, you know, and contrast viewpoints changing. Uh, there, there's a lot of things that I think. Uh, is 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 applicable in in um, at least hypothesizing in the group setting. So you know it's it's uh, sounds sounds like um, you know there's some wisdom there that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just thinking like the object constancy to be able to like hold on to the other people in group as you're between groups and to kind of remember some of the support you've gotten, remember as obviously as you've gotten to know people, um, but to be able to hold on to that is an important part of it as well To as you're out there living your life. So yeah, I think too much time and every other week for some isn't going to be enough. I think some people would be more interested in a weekly. I think my groups tend to be more coaching groups and moving towards goals and what do people want and paying attention to what might be in the way. And yes, getting into some of those limiting beliefs or understanding some of the patterns that grew out of childhood, that kind of thing can be really important and helpful. Um, But maybe not the same as somebody who's dealing with something that goes deeper and that feels very urgent. Mm. And can you maybe talk us also through a little bit about how you've noticed your participants showing up uh, in terms of the different different ways that people engage? I'm, I'm assuming like lots of groups, there are those that uh, can be quite vocal and uh, engaged and take a fair bit of uh, floor space, so to speak, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and others can be a bit more reserved. Um, yeah. Can you talk us through through the the different ways that people that you've seen people engage, and and also how you have managed the space to make it you know therapeutic and safe and 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 of value for you know the different people who are coming in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for sure there's always um, people who tend towards monopolizing sort of the group, and they need some um, 
or the group itself needs enough structure to help move it along so that person doesn't take the whole thing. And like you commented on and vice versa, sometimes there are people who tend on the more quiet side. I know that the way that I structure my groups, I actually give each person a turn to share what came up for them with the topic that I have planned. And is there anything that they want to catch us up on? So I start with that. And then I ask the others to share what's resonating for them as they're hearing their peer speak. So I kind of give each person terms and then also give um, sort of a push towards let's have a little bit more of a, an organic conversation about this, what's coming up. And people, um, I think, are a little bit more likely to go there because they understand more of like, okay, what what happens at this time? What happens at that time? And as we kind of know, okay, this is time for what's resonating. People have gotten in the habit of, and I've asked them to sort of take a notebook and just hold it so they can jot down whatever it is that speaks to them while their peers are speaking so that they can share it back as we talk. That sounds absolutely beautiful. And obviously that's that's where all your uh, you know experience and why I'm asking all these questions comes, comes out. The, the, the fact that each person is Given time to share in a structured way means that everyone can anticipate that's going to happen. They're going to have their own time. So they'll be given an opportunity to, to speak themselves. Mm-hmm. Those that are avoidant uh, can't be avoided because it will come to their turn, but they can actually prepare something in their, in their mm-hmm. mind and that can be, um, you know, uh, uh, reduce the, the daunting nature of it. Uh, I like the idea that each participant gets to reflect on what resonates for for them from what mm-hmm. a different participant has 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 said because I think all of that develops perspective taking, but also you know that psychological flexibility, mm-hmm. but also being a, being the observer, you know, the observer of someone else speaking, but the observer then of oneself. So you know what is occurring inside of me uh, and and and. To be able to hold those different viewpoints, uh, I, mean, I, I think, is incredibly validated in 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 our uh, in our research as to what is helpful to to have psychological flexibility show up uh, is and, and reinforced ongoing. Uh, and you've done that in a structured way. It tells me that that uh, you know your groups must be very powerful uh, for your, for your mm-hmm. participants and, and develop those skills because they're being practiced. Every mm-hmm. session, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I think it, it can be very easy to space out when somebody else is talking or feel like, oh, it's not my turn or whatever. And so I think to make sure that we're always overlapping with each other and we're very deliberate about doing it that way has been really helpful. Tanya, I could I could speak to you uh, for 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 many more hours about you know group work. It's it, it's something that uh, I'd love to in, you know get involved in at some point, and something that uh, you know maybe is a bit daunting as well um, that that I need to you know, reflect back on and and look at how we do that in in our practice here as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, how can people find out more about you know, your work, uh, the groups that you do? Any materials that you think would be of, of, of value, whether it's to other clinicians or 
you know, potential participants, um, any sort of, uh, you know, last, last, uh, you know, words or things you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah. I mean, the easiest way to find me is on my website, which is my name, but also, so Tanya Cole-Lesnick, but because that can be hard to remember, I also have clear energetic clutter as a name that will get you to my website. I actually have a 10-minute documentary that I made about my own story that I shared with you at the beginning of our conversation today. So if anybody's interested, you can see a little documentary um, that I made with some lovely people about my story. So there's that. I also have a free seven-minute masterclass of um it's a three question inquiry that just will help people get some clarity in their own lives and starting to move towards clearing their own energetic clutter, making space, more space for what they really want in their lives. So that's available on my website for free. And yeah, I post videos and do some live um videos on Instagram as well. And my handle for that is Tanya, the therapist. So T-A-N-Y-A, the therapist, all one word. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, lots of, lots of lovely resources. And then, you know, all I can say is really encourage any of our listeners who are thinking about, you know, maybe moving from, from, uh, you know, the position they are to, to reflect some more, whether it be individual or I think group is very powerful um, and, and and to try and find, you know, someone that they resonate with and also a, a group that they resonate with trying to overcome, you know, those initial barriers of fear and worry mm-hmm. to, to, to give it a chance and then have an open mind to try and engage in, in, in this space because I think there's, there's a lot of value of doing this as a, as a, a community uh, and, you know, it's a, it can be yeah. you know, a community of eight uh, or it could be, you know, larger or smaller, but uh, doing it with others, uh, there's something very powerful about that, and hence why, you know, we we are drawn to you know family and friends. Uh, but you know, mm-hmm. our world is very different, and and you know, I think the states and Australia similarly, and how individualistic our 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 uh, communities and societies and cultures are that that we don't do things nearly as much as, as, as communities, which has pros and cons because, you know, yeah. we don't necessarily want, you know, our family getting into our business either. And, and how <laughs> that's why we might go to group therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's an, it's an uh, incredible and powerful medium, you know, to, to do some work. So uh, Tanya, big thank you for, for your time and expertise today. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. It's been really a pleasure to be here and I've really enjoyed our conversation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review, subscribe, share it via social media and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources and just lastly if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team develop your experience and get into some exciting work come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out i'd love to hear from you